Hey, Dog Nation. Happy Thursday evening to you. This is Cover 4 Live. My name is Brandon Adams. Happy to have the rest of the Dog Nation team on hand with us as well. Connor Riley and Jeff Sintel and Mike Griffith there, too. And it feels like it's been a while since we've done the show because of the NFL draft last week and, of course, everything that's gone on and different platforms, different times. You've heard us all weigh in on G-Day, what happened in the NFL draft. So we're going to try to spin it forward a little bit here now with a look at kind of what's next for Georgia football. In some cases, over the course of the long haul, the next year, and in some cases, and maybe the immediate future. In fact, why don't we begin that way right now? We have seen within the last few days, Georgia lose a player out of the transfer portal, at least presumably with defensive back Major Burns putting his name into the portal. We'll find out if he actually follows through and makes a transfer somewhere else. And with that in mind, that door obviously swings both ways. There are plenty of rumors out there about available scholarships for Georgia and names that that Georgia could be potentially connected to or attracted to and possibly looking to add to its roster for the start of the upcoming season. So, Mike Griffith, I'll begin with you on this. If we assume for a moment that Georgia does have a couple of scholarships to play with for the upcoming season, and if we're assuming that Georgia wants to shop inside that transfer portal a bit, how would you like to see Georgia spend its time in that regard? Yeah, B.A., you know, I think what Kirby said about wanting to get some experience at the cornerback position, I mean, it's a position that's very inexperienced. It's a position that just put three players into the NFL. And uh, I think D.J. Daniel could have easily been a draft pick, by the way, if not for the injury. The Jaguars got a real steal with him as a free agent. But, you know, you're replacing three NFL corners. And, and, you know, I think Jalen Kimber had a very good spring. I think he's taken that second step. Keely Ringo is a guy that really played himself up on the depth chart. That experience was the only thing he was lacking coming off that torn labrum. There's no substitute for the repetitions. And and a guy that you talked about, I'm hearing really good things about, Amir Speed, a a guy that had a very good spring. And I think they feel good about all three of those players. Nylon Green, he's got something to learn, missed the game with covid uh, you're, we're a little worried about Darren Branch. Is, is he going to be with the team? Is he not going to be with the team? He wasn't on the G-Day roster. If you look at the rosters, this was a young man that left once and came back. And so a, a question mark there. So I don't think w- without any doubt, I think the cornerback position, we will see addition there. My question is, is it one or is it two? Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting way to kind of summarize all that. Connor, I know you follow these mock drafts really closely, even some of the look-ahead stuff for the 2022 uh, year about to have. I mean, I saw one the other day where uh, um, Gary and Kendrick was like the number nine overall pick, according to – that's the former Clemson defense back who is in the transfer portal, you know, kind of out of the Clemson program. This is like a first-round pick in multiple mock drafts that I've seen. <laughs> you know, this is a guy I was somewhat interested in before. I know he's had a little bit of uh, – brush with the law at this point in time who can even remember what for uh i think it's you know, i think it's time to start thinking seriously about bringing darian kendrick to athens well if i remember correctly i believe he was possession of a firearm and then a, a small amount of marijuana as well there was, was what kendrick was arrested for uh i will say first on the mock drafts I, I again i love the nfl draft love mock drafts this might be the worst set of way too early mock drafts that i have ever seen just in general i i just think somehow Either next year's draft doesn't look very good right now, or, or we just need to go back to the drawing board and figure out some of the names that should be, may not be there. You know, Cade Mays is a name that's been thrown up there. He hasn't looked anything like a first-round potential pick there at Tennessee. So as far as mock drafts there, I see what you're saying with Kendrick. I think the really interesting thing for me when it comes to transfer portal is what is the SEC going to do with their interco- interconference yeah. transfer rule? Because 
if the SEC joins the way of the ACC and the Big 12 and the American Athletic Conference and opens that up to everyone and everything, I think that's going to really open up transfer portal potential for a school like Georgia because, while well, yes, you're going to see your fair share of guys leave. There are also guys that would love to come play at Georgia and compete there right away. So I think depending on how that happens and how that progresses, I think it's going to go a long way in determining who ends up coming in at that cornerback spot because I believe we all think here Georgia is going to add someone at that cornerback spot. Whether or not that is Kendrick, I think, remains to be seen. And Jeff, didn't uh, Greg Sankey say – he said Wednesday at the uh, Pro-Am golf tournament that they're going to announce something on this transfer thing in terms of the you know prohibition on immediate eligibility for intra-conference transfers. They're going to announce something on this within the next month. Didn't he say that this week? Uh, was that your dream, Brandon? Were you hoping that he said that? And I think I he did. Allowed it I mean, to- honestly, I like. I actually like the rule. I mean, I'm an old head on stuff that like this. I mean, I, I kind of like the rule the way that it is. Now, if you're going to have them, then I want Georgia to take advantage of it. But in terms of the rule itself, I, I, I don't. I don't mind the rule in place. But I do believe Sankey said this week they're about to announce something in relationship to that. He just didn't say what it was. Yeah, and I think it, I think the announcement probably would go in ter- terms of the old ways of doing it, things in the Southeastern Conference. I mean, uh, I know it would create some competitive balance for other conferences to allow the one-time transfer and kind of mirror what the NCAA is doing. But, you know, one of the names that, you know, you know Kendrick's a guy that I'm not really entirely sold on. Um, maybe those mock drafts where they show that, we you know, 45 names that are going to be draft eligible next year and we're going to throw 32 of them in the first round. But, you know, there's a cornerback in Missouri right now that's really taking a hard look at Georgia, uh, Jadarius Perkins. And, and Brandon, this is going to be one of those wild ones because he was a junior college corner. I think he was rated right behind Dejon Nugget Warren. Yeah. 6'2", 185. He's talking to me saying Georgia offering him uh, was a blessing. It took a lot off of his mind. But let's get this straight. Juco, he enrolled at Mizzou in January. Looks pretty good by all accounts. And then yeah, he was running first team in their spring practice, I think. Yeah, that, that makes you think he looks around and he's like, you know, dude, dude this ain't it. Let me find some other <laughs> spot to go. And, and then he, he, could, he could transfer portal intra-conference after basically a spring practice. Like, let's just go ahead and ratchet up everything that would cause consternation in the SEC office and all those old ads. Not only getting a guy that comes out of basically four months on campus, but doing it intra-conference as well. Um, you know, Kendrick, let's go back to Kendrick for a second. Kendrick got dinged up a lot last year. And sure, you know, he's rated highly. Folks, he was a former receiver, if everybody remembers that correctly. Um, but if you ask a lot of Clemson fans, they kind of point to him as a guy that had some scorch marks on his uh, hind parts last year a lot, especially in those big games. I know you like to see experience, Brendan, but here's the thing. If you watch that film on Kendrick a lot, um, he's the guy that would be showboating after plays and get, catching flags too. Now, I want you to – give me one of those two, Brandon, as well about that. How much <laughs> are you going to take as long as it's a first-round quarterback? Yeah, listen, I, I don't know. You know, I guess beggars can't be choosers at this point in time. You know, Mike, the other thing that's kind of interesting about this is we've seen some fairly high-profile wide receivers kind of pop in the portal. Some of these are like even 2021 signees and – you know, they kind of sort of bounce on other places before you really can tell, you know, how much Georgia might get involved. You know, Xavier Worthy leaves Michigan, ends up going with Sarkeesian at Texas. Uh, Mike Woods leaves Arkansas, ends up going to Oklahoma. Uh, uh, James Williams leaves Ohio State. You think he wants to go to a less crowded wide receiver situation, ends up going to Alabama. You know, you've seen some high-profile receivers kind of pop in this portal thing lately, and, you know, there has been a, certainly a part of me that wonders – I wonder if George is going to try to get involved here, but 
a lot of these guys have moved on so quick. Either Georgia didn't get involved or there wasn't time to get involved because those guys kind of chose the sort of respected powers that be, you know, Sarkeesian, Oklahoma, Alabama, you know, the, the, the folks that have been producing big time wide receivers seem to be a transfer destination for wide receivers right now too. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I think Georgia actually has a lot to offer with what Todd Munkin's going to do with this offense. Now that the, I think the wide receiver transfer is a, there's a time element to it because you know, JT is going to be going out to California working with some of these receivers. And there's a lot to this offense. And, and B.A., you've heard Kirby talk about it. It's, you know, what can the other guys, the skill position guys, learn around JT? We talk so much about how effective Georgia's offense can be with a quarterback who can make adjustments at the line of scrimmage. Well, that's only if the receivers are making the same adjustments and, and, and can, keep, can keep up with them. There's a certain amount of continuity and familiarity and timing that's going to be required. Now, I do think Georgia has this sort of schedule outside of, you know, Clemson, right? It's a one-game season. Play Clemson. Okay, now everybody catch your breath because you really don't have to, you know, you really don't get tested again until Arkansas, I don't think, in October. So I, I think this is a schedule that lends itself to uh, Georgia growing, offensively gathering continuity. And yet and still, I think if you're going to add a receiver, I think it's got to be pretty quick here in the next couple few weeks. And I don't rule it out. But I just think that, that the style of offense Georgia plays, it isn't just, hey, show up and go over there and, and run this route. I think that's actually a pretty good point that obviously there's a learning curve there. But let's just say hypothetically for a second, though, Mike, it was somebody like Mike Woods, who is really good at one thing, right? I mean, Woods is good at running really fast, blowing the top off the defense. And, you know, that's not a super complicated route. That's essentially just run past somebody. You know, if you could bring in somebody like that, you know, I, I, I do think there's some value in, okay, he may not know the whole playbook, but he can do this one thing really well. And that's, by the way, you know, something that's pretty fashionable in college football right now. So I think the point you're making is a pretty good one. But don't you think in a, in a limited role, they could still add somebody relatively late and at least find something for him to be able to do? Because that would make the job of the other receivers who do know the offense better. That would make the job for them a little bit easier, certainly. Sure. You know, but every guy that comes out, you got to look at and say, is he better than what we have already? Is he better than Don Blaylock? Is he better than Demetrius Robertson is going into his fifth year? Is he better than Kiaris Jackson? Does he deserve to take snaps from Arian Smith? Uh, do you take Jermaine Burton out of the equation? Um, you know, th these guys, Jalen, there's, there's guys that have worked for these repetitions and, you know, Kirby's not a guy that's going to get somebody unless he thinks he's going to play. And, for the most part, the players that he's recruited have played a pretty big impact. Now, you could say Trey McKitty didn't, but I think had Trey not gotten hurt, I think we would have seen a lot more, uh, a considerably bit more of Trey McKitty, the third-round draft pick of the San Diego Chargers, instead of six catches for 108 yards. You know, really the only guy that I would say has been a, a – I don't even want to use the word disappointment, but maybe not been as big a contributor as we thought he would be was that Notre Dame defensive lineman. And if Georgia recovers a fumble in the end zone against Alabama, he makes a play that makes his transfer worthy. So I, I think when Kirby goes and gets these guys, the first question is, is he better than what we, Georgia, is he better than what we already have? And, and to your point, uh, while these guys aren't Alabama, LSU, or Clemson, it's still a pretty good receiving core. So, Connor, I'm going to give you the last word on this. First of all, I think the Jay Hayes name is interesting. And, you know, my th you know, thought on that is they're not all going to work out. But when you bring in a guy who's played the power five level and kind of, you know, he had seven tackles against Georgia in 2017. 
you know, that's probably worth rolling the dice on. They're not all going to work out, but I think that's a pretty good point, Mike, in terms of some of these guys you bring in there, Marie Smith, they win defensive MVP for you. And some of these guys end up really not playing much for you at all because if for whatever reason, it just, you know, kind of wasn't meant to be, and they're going to have, you know, different guys on both sides of this. I think that's a very fair point. Connor, I'll, I'll give you the last word on this though. Um, we know George has got the room to do this, but as Mike said, you've also got to have a player who's, reasonably capable of contributing for you if he arrives here. So do you think the chances are better than 50% that we add a name to the Georgia roster before you kick off against Clemson on September the 4th, obviously not counting Tyke Smith, who's about to arrive here, I think probably in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I would say the answer to that is yes. Like, I just We talked about it with cornerback. I don't know about wide receivers so much, but I do think that cornerback position, Kirby Smart's going to go out there and add, especially because, Based on my unofficial count, I believe they're at 82 scholarships. They have room to add multiple players there. And it, I, I know Major Burns, we're going to get to him a little bit later here, but he Major Burns probably won't be the last tr- player to enter the transfer portal from Georgia's current roster. So they're going to have room. They're probably even going to have a need at certain spots to add some depth. And because of that, I think cornerback makes a really logical sense to go out there and add someone. Yeah, certainly that'll be uh, worth watching. It's cover four live here tonight. That is Connor Riley, Jeff Sintel, Mike Griffith. My name's Brandon Adams. Happy to have all of you here with us today as we look at what's next for Georgia on the short-term basis there in terms of who Georgia might add, but now kind of on the long-term basis. And I've had a good time doing this on Dog Nation Daily uh, over the course of the last few days. When you look at recent national champions and the huge haul of first-round picks they've had, obviously you see the potential at Georgia for the same kind of thing, but you're also kind of left to kind of debate and try to figure out, well, who are those names that could be in the first round of next year's NFL draft. And if you have enough of those added together, you have the kind of top-end talent firepower that could also propel you to a national championship there as well. There are no shortage of potential names, but also unanswered questions, probably about all of the names that we could bring up. So, Jeff Sintel, I'm going to let you start this portion of the program off, if you don't mind. If I give you the entirety of the Georgia roster and say – who is the most likely name on that roster right now, which means it needs to be draft eligible uh, for 2022 to be a first round pick next April. Who is the name that comes to your mind the first? Yeah, I didn't think I was going to get the first crack at this. I figured it would be attrition and I'd have to go in the grab bag a little bit, but you know, for me, that makes it kind of elementary. I think the first name probably uh, unless you expect a breakout from Nolan Smith or Adam Anderson, I think the name's got to be Jordan Davis. I mean, he's the guy that, um, you look at the NFL, though, look at those first seven, eight picks. None of those were on the defensive side in the, any, anymore. You look at – I actually think a first-round type talent is a kid like Lewis Seen, a young man like Lewis Seen. But you see safeties aren't as valued as highly in the draft anymore as perhaps corners and other positions. So I think it's Jordan because you look at a lot of other players, you know, I know Kobe Dean's probably going to get drafted maybe right around Monty, right where Monty Rice did. He'll probably test better just because of his size element. He's not a big inside backer. Um, you look down the list at those wide receivers, I think, you know, there's going to be health concerns there with George Pickens. I, I just think it's Jordan Davis because he's going to check every box. I think he's going to have a gangbusters year. Um, I think there's still going to be value on a guy that can um, hold down a, a gap and B gap and occupy some blockers in the middle. Um, I think that that name for me, the most likely name for me without projecting some sort of breakout uh, spark here is I think that's got to be Jordan Davis. Mike, to follow up on Jeff's point, my concern about Davis is, and y'all know I've been a big fan of Jordan's since he came here to Georgia, and I, I do expect him to have a great year this year, and I'd love nothing more to see him be a first-round pick. And I would say there's a better chance than not 
then he probably will be. He certainly has a very good chance of doing that. But Mike, go back and look at the interior defensive linemen who were drafted in the first round in the what would have been the 2020 NFL draft. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, 2020 NFL draft. Uh, you, you take a look at that draft and you know guys like Javon Kinlaw, Derek Brown. These are guys that were putting up big stats in their final year. You know, big sack numbers, double digit tackle for loss numbers, things like that. You know, if if, if Jordan's going to really be in that conversation of this is a first round pick, or as some draft experts have even suggested, someone who could be near the first half of the of the first round next year, then he's going to have to have a huge statistical year to kind of be in a Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw type category. I'm not saying it's impossibility, but that's a that's a level of statistical achievement he hasn't quite obtained yet at Georgia. So that's my only doubt. Just to play devil's advocate with the point that Jeff brought up, that'd be my only doubt about Davis is. Can he put up the kind of stats that other recent, you know, first-round interior defensive linemen have put up? Well, and a lot of that's up to him. I mean, you heard Kirby Smart talk about his weight issue, and, and part of the weight issue is are you on the field for third down? I mean, if you're 10 or 15 pounds overweight, you're not a three-down lineman. You're coming out on third down, and the pass rushers are coming in, and you're not going to have those opportunities to make those sacks in third and long. You're a first and second down guy that, as you said, controls the gaps, uh, pushes the pocket back, um, but maybe not in there on the pass down. So a lot of this has to do with how does Jordan condition. Uh, clearly, Georgia wants him on the field as much as possible, but they do rotate on the D-line. Uh, and to your point, you know, uh, his forte has been uh, gap control. Now, he's also rushed the passer. He's yeah. had some big sacks against Florida, I think, you know, recently in Jacksonville. Um, so I, I, I think that's a fair question. I'm with Jeff, though. I think he's a first-round pick. And I don't know how high I, I, I agree with Jeff also about Adam Anderson. I mean, I think he's, he's intriguing. I mean, you just don't see many six, five uh, guys that are two forty that Connor runs a four, four Connor. I don't know what he's going to run four, two, five or four, four, five, two, or, but, but he's a guy that, that has freakish speed that runs with the running backs when they're working out. I mean, Adam Anderson is going to run a crazy number uh, for a guy that size. Now, does he, does he get the sacks as you were saying, BA, does mm. he, we know he can do it. We're hearing about him playing star. Can he be that guy? Because if he can be that guy, we're talking about first round. And then, you know, JT Daniels, uh, you know, JT is a cerebral guy. We wonder about the knee, anybody that's had knee surgery. And we all learned, we were all reminded of this with Aziz Ajilari. You can be structurally sound and everything's great. But if the, a doctor looks at that chart and decides that the, there's a degenerative issue, it can cost you. So one, how does JT look with his mobility this year? I thought he looked good in the G-Day game, but how will he look in season? It's a long year. Georgia didn't protect him very well, and he didn't do a very good job getting rid of the ball either. So is he going to get rid of the ball quick enough? Is he going to get through the season? But he's a guy that can make all the throws that I think will be a first-round quarterback if the knee checks out. Connor, I think the answer to this question probably is Daniels. I think you can make case for other names. And like I said, I'm, I'm a homer for Jordan Davis. I, I just like him that much as a player. But if you're really asking me the most likely, we saw six first-round quarterbacks. It was five, five or six, I remember what it ended up being. We saw, you know, multitude of first-round quarterbacks this year's draft. There's already expectations for a huge number again next year there as well. This is a position that teams are coveting. There are even more teams kind of thinking about drafting quarterback while they still have, you know, quarterback in place, which opens the door for even more guys to get drafted. There's a chance that Daniels also doesn't go in the first round because of health reasons or whatever else. But to me, the simplest answer is the most correct. Uh, I think Daniels is the most likely first-round pick on this team for next season. Why would you say Daniels over Pickens? 
Because the Pickens injury is just so recent. I mean, I think you see this with a couple of guys in this year's draft. And once again, I'm a huge homer for for Pickens, of course, too. But I, I told this to Terrence Edwards on Dog Nation Daily today. I think you have a better chance as a player of explaining away bad film than you do any kind of question that comes from a doctor. I mean, I think that it hurt Aziz Ojolari because he had an injury a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I just think these injury things linger with these guys so much. And, you know, from that standpoint, if we don't see much from Pickens this year and we do see Daniels play, he's the quarterback. I just think it's a safer bet. If Pickens plays and if he's fully healthy right now, then I'm probably having a, a different conversation with you. But I think it's going to really be one of those things where if you want to just think NFL for George right now, he's got a big job ahead of him to show people how healthy he is because these NFL teams just seem to be so skeptical of these injury situations and really health situations all across the board. I think George and JT are in a similar boat here. And while, yes, George is more recent, we know JT has had multiple surgeries on that knee to get it cleaned up and get it fixed. And that pretty clearly indicates that it is a – long-term injury risk and it is not as deep a wide receiver group next year as it was this season and a quarterback you mentioned you know Desmond Ritter Malik Willis Sam Howell Spencer Rattler a bunch of different names have been thrown out there and so it'll be interesting to see with JT where he goes the one name we haven't mentioned yet is the guy I actually think might be the best bet just given we don't know if Jordan Davis is going to be able to rush the passer and that's Jamari Sawyer he's got positional versatility where he's shown he can play left tackle at a, a at a good level. Now, he doesn't have the ideal measurables there, and he's probably going to be a guard at the next level. But we've seen guards go in the first round, and he's a strong, powerful player, great off-field character, a leader for this Georgia program. And I think you saw a 6-7 offensive lineman go in the first round this year. Landon Dickerson would have joined them had he been healthy and not had the injury history that he does. And so because of that, because of Sawyer and the potential that he has while he is an offensive lineman, I think he's absolutely someone who could hear his name called in the first round next year. Connor, we just saw the Patriots pick up the fifth-year option on Isaiah Wynn. I mean, to me, Salyer reminds me so much of Wynn in terms of, hey, it's a guy that played some tackle for Georgia, but, you know, maybe project more as the inside. I honestly don't know how the Patriots are playing Wynn right now. I, I, I won't pretend to. But in terms of the versatility that he showed to Georgia and potentially a, a really a propelling force for an offensive line that could have put you in the national championship conversation. That's what Wynn did for Georgia in 2017. I, I do see some similarities to, to Salyer here as we head into the 2021 season. Yeah, when when he's been healthy for New England, has been a really good player. He's just unfortunately missed some time with the torn Achilles there. And they've actually played him at left tackle, given, you know, they have two very, they had two very good guards in Joe Thune and Shaq Mason. So Wynn is another example of that. I think you even looked this past year, a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC who went 14 to the Jets a guy who could play left tackle there for USC but is probably going to kick down a guard at the NFL level and the Jets felt very comfortable enough to go up trade for him give up draft capital to go get a guy in Vera Tucker I think Jamari Sawyer could absolutely be a similar like player next year Jeff I'm going to do a topic on this on Dog Nation Daily coming up whenever I get a chance to but if you look at a lot of the stuff that's out there early look ahead of the 2022 draft from Georgia names. You do see Adam Anderson. You do see some Nolan Smith, uh, Walter football as Nolan Smith as a first rounder uh, as a, for instance, but you don't see the name of the Dean very much. And it seems like even though Dean's actually put up some big stats, doesn't seem like the nation right now knows as much about him. Now I realized I just compared him inside linebacker to outside linebacker, pass rusher. There's obviously a little bit of a premium on the outside guys. The guys are really getting after the quarterback. 
But, I mean, we've seen Devin White, who had a big Super Bowl, by the way. We've certainly seen Roquan Smith uh, a couple of years ago. I sort of get the impression, Jeff, that in terms of national perception of people who are already paying attention to draft eligible players for 2022 and you know things along those lines, I get the impression that I don't think folks realize just how good N'Kobe Dean has a chance to be. Yeah, but uh, here's the thing. I think there with Dean, I mean, uh, you, know, you want to talk about players that check every box. He's a lot like Monty Rice, except he's going to be healthier. He's going to be a little bit – everybody's going to say Monty Rice was, was not fast, but if you look at those times, I think Monty showed up in the 4-5 range when he hit his combines. Um, both of these are cerebral football players. They, they, they keep them clean. Uh, you know, the one name, Brandon, I think – you know, it seems like a lot of people are – are saying if we strap some all SEC stats onto this guy, then he's a he's a projected first round pick. For me, I don't think it's Anderson. I don't think it's Smith. If you give Trayvon Walker seven eight sacks next year, he's the guy that I think has the. You're going to look at him, and he's going to be a prototype for an NFL first round draft pick. Um, he's going to get more opportunities to rush the passer. You're going to see him moving around a lot in this year, but. You know, it's funny the way Georgia plays, and, and I, everybody talks about the adjustments with the wide receivers and the passing game, but, you know, you can clearly look at a lot of games last year for Aziz Ojolari, like the Mississippi State game, for instance. He played inside the tackle a lot to control that run game, much the same way the Cincinnati game was. It was only when, when Georgia, I would say, unleashed him or let him rush the passer and come outside the tackle that you finally see those stats and everything pop up. Um, it'd be interesting to see everybody talks about pinning the ears back and going after and getting the quarterback that you know Georgia needs to do for the future of maybe recruiting those lethal guys off the edge. Um, the other thing about Jordan Davis, I think he's got stats, and I think it's the stat when the coaches can say, we're a totally different defense four years in a row when Jordan Davis was in there. We trace it back to LSU freshman year. Mm-hmm. You trace it back to every time Jordan Davis has missed time. You know, the thing that made Georgia a national championship caliber defense, at least in the run game, was always Jordan Davis. And I think, um, you know, the eye test, you know, you think about, you know, how he just looks and people will just be mesmerized by what he looks like, much in the same way some former Georgia players like Ben Cleveland and Isaiah Wilson have maybe jockeyed up their draft status a lot by when they just get the chance to see him and work him out. I mean, he's really a different athlete, um, but – you know, I, I do think Walker deserves his mention in this conversation because if you give that young man about 60 tackles and seven or eight sacks, then he's certainly going to look like a first-round draft pick. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think pound for pound, he's got the most potential of anybody. I mean, if he really puts it together, then, I mean, I just think NFL teams could potentially salivate over him. Mike, let me give you the last word on this. And if you want to go back many years, I'm talking about 2020 with obviously the Alabama guys, even the Waddle got hurt, 2019, all the LSU guys – uh, T Higgins in 2018 ended up not being a first round pick, but he's like 33rd overall. So he's with an eyelash being a first round pick. Justin Ross is projected in, uh, as a first round pick in some of the mock drafts right now. Obviously Alabama had three first eventual first round picks in that 2017 roster that won the national championship. My point is it's multiple first round level wide receivers on these teams that have won national championships. So George Pickens, if healthy, is in that first-round pick discussion. Can you make a case for any other receiver potentially being that kind of guy for Georgia this season, whether he's draft eligible for 2022 or not? Yeah, that's tough, you know, because Jermaine Burton is only going to be going in his second year, right? Yeah, he won't be draft eligible in 2022, but he's still worth talking about in discussion like this, even if he'd have to to wait another year. Yeah, I think he's got the the, the combine number upside, 
um, to be a guy that has that upside potential. I, I don't think Kieris is a first rounder. I'm not sure about where Dominic Blaylock's at going to be on the physical with the knees. I would say probably not. I do think George uh, Darnell Washington, another guy who's not eligible for the draft though, but has that six, seven, 285 and those hands. I just think he is such a special, special player. Uh, James Cook is a running back by trait, uh, but he has great hands. We saw Travis Etienne go high. I think Cook is a player that I would say is comparable in terms of the role he's going to play. Um, you know, but then I go, boy, DeAndre Swift wasn't a first round pick, and I think Swift over Cook. So it's hard for me to imagine in this particular draft class anybody but Pickens going in the first round. But I would say down the line that Darnell Washington uh, and Jermaine Burton would be two guys I would have circled with first round potential, as well as Peaches the dog that is crashing the scene down there with Jeff. And it's always, Jeff, you got to say something for us to see Peaches. This is a great moment for dog. By all means, the uh, dog makes the appearance there. She loves loves wide receiver talk because that's near and dear to her heart. But I'm going to say something that's going to make you want to say dad gummit. I know it is. I was thinking about this and somebody, something that you said kind of sparked it in my mind. Uh, the NFL rule is you got to be three years outside of your draft, out of your high school graduation class before you're draft eligible. And let's say uh, Adonai Mitchell sets a word on fire and he has two great years. We well, remember he graduated a, a year earlier than a lot of folks. So let's say, you know, he's just a freshman. Let's, let's at least give him a G day hero type laurels around his neck, but, He's going to be eligible for the draft a year earlier than most people might think he will be. Yeah, a little bit like no Sean Marino <laughs> after sitting out the 2006 season. Although, I guess if Adonis Mitchell ends up being mentioned in the same sentence as uh, no Sean Marino, then something really good has happened over the course of these uh, two years. But, yeah, that's a very interesting point all the way around there. It's uh, Cover 4 Live here tonight. That's Jeff Sintel, of course, along with Connor Riley, Mike Griffith. My name's Brandon Adams. We're happy to kind of walk with you through all the things going on with Georgia football right now. And today was an interesting day in that Georgia Governor Brian Kemp in an appearance at Dooley Field at Sanford Stadium in the you know recruiting waiting area, lounge area there connected to the stadium signs Georgia's version, the state, by the way, the state of Georgia's version of the name, image, and likeness uh, law that will allow college athletes moving forward to make money as an endorser here, making a, a chance to cash in on their fame. There's been a little bit of confusion about this because the Georgia law, as it's written, keeps the door open for the schools to essentially confiscate some of this money and redistribute it somewhere else. Interesting. Some of the people on Twitter, they don't seem to like that. I, wait, what do they find out uh, about some other things that are going on? But um, the, uh, but, but the, you know, the conversations out there about this, it is really interesting to me, Connor, just the, the lack of clarity around this, whether it be the confusion over the, what the, what the law says as opposed to what UGA has said it's going to do, but actually how the players themselves get a chance to cash in on this, what they're actually going to be allowed to do. I, I tried to read about this day, some of the news reports that are out there, and I'm still not quite sure exactly what this law is going to look like once it takes shape for the UGA athletes or the you know similar laws that are going to exist in other states, and that's before the potential federal government kind of gets involved in this as well. Yeah, well, I think it is all intentionally confusing because I think there is this expectation that there is going to be a federal law, but I'll be interested to see if that does come down the pipeline July 1st. I know people would have liked to have seen more leadership from the NCA in this in terms of shaping it and trying to get it done, but they've clearly thrown their hands at this like they seem to with so many other problems out there. 
that the NCAA has had to deal with over the years. And so because of the lack of clarity on it, you do have different rules and different state laws for different states and different programs. And I know I'm sure a lot of people would just love to see a federal law come in and sort of set the standard for everyone, because now you're going to have certain states competing with one another, trying to see who can get the best possible deal for their possible players. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the states that are going to start enacting this July 1st, because remember, California was the first state to sign an NIL law. The problem is that they weren't going to start until July of 2023. It's Florida, Georgia, it's Alabama, and I believe it's Mississippi, along with New Mexico. New Mexico randomly wanted to get in there on football. But I I think you look at those states, SEC schools, a few ACC schools as well that are really trying to compete. So with that in mind, those schools want to be the leader in this and potentially encourage a federal law so that there might be a level playing field. But let me ask you this, and this is uh, a good faith question. You talk about the idea of, hey, these states want to compete, and certainly the politicians seem to want to. They like the idea of making it seem like, at least my assumption is, they like the idea of making it seem like they're doing something to support the state university in their own school. But Nick Saban talked about this on Wednesday. Uh, he was also at the at the Celebrity Pro-Am Golf Tournament. He was asked about the name, image, and likeness thing. And, boy, he didn't sound like he was all that eager to see his state jump out in front and lead the way in all of this. He actually talked more about the parody of it, hoping that it's a level playing field and it's kind of fair for everybody. Now, listen, we don't uh, we presume that Saban's self-serving when, when he talks about that, being fearful that somebody else may have an advantage that he doesn't have. But, Connor, I am kind of fascinated by the ways in which a lot of the schools themselves now recruiting graphics are one thing, I guess, but they don't seem to be all that eager to kind of race out in front here with some sort of plan that is wildly different than what other what other schools are doing, or, or, or am I missing that? Well, again, I, I think a lot of this and the concern or worry about it, because, again, a different state could pass a better law that makes it more enticing. Say, you know, Texas comes along, and I believe they have a bill waiting to be signed. I know Tennessee does as well. That is a better bill than what, say, Alabama, Florida, or Georgia have. Obviously, Georgia's today came out that they have the 75% escrow clause, but Georgia said they're not going to use that, but – you know, it's fair to wonder what these what, are, what is going to be in these other state bills. And that's why I think, again, a lot of this, and, and I think this is where Saban is coming from, he wants a level playing field when it comes to this NLI stuff so that they have a good idea of what it is. They know what they're competing against when it comes to everyone else so that they're not weighing, okay, well, player X from this state who wants to go to California has these kind of benefits, and us in Alabama just necessarily can't offer that right now. Mike, I am kind of in two minds of this. On the one hand, if you got 200000 TikTok followers and you have a chance to send an influencer message around that and make a couple hundred dollars. I don't have a huge deal with that, but for some reason that doesn't alleviate the skepticism I have about the rush to enact all of this around college sports. Do you think like what you read today covered today related to Georgia and some of the other stuff that's going on, is this good or bad? Let me start with this. I'll ask you two questions. First of all, is the Georgia law that was you know put in place, signed by Governor Kemp today, is this good or bad for Georgia football? Well, I mean, it's – I don't know if it's – I don't want to straddle the fence here, but <laughs> if everyone else is going to have an NIL bill, this, this bill is as good as any of them. I mean, the key is the interpretation. There were some people that were quick, uh, you know, to come to some hasty, faulty conclusions – because one of the options is for schools within the state to take some of that money 
and pool it and spread it out among other athletes. Now, to be very clear about this, and we did a story on Dog Nation specifically because there were other fan bases and media that were irresponsibly saying, oh, my gosh, if you go to Georgia, they're going to take some of your uh, money. So that means, you know, Alabama and LSU and all these others. No, no, no. Georgia, the University of Georgia has no intention of taking anyone's endorsement money and pooling it. I.e., if you're an elite athlete and you sign a deal, you know, for, for Arby's, then you're going to get 100% of that deal. Now, there is a provision at some other schools to consider maybe taking part of that endorsement money and sharing it among other sports or other student athletes. Because as one of the representatives said, you know, you've got to have blockers for that star running back that's going to get that, that Adidas deal. And, and what's one of the ways you can do that uh, would be if there was a pool system. So all that was was an option. It, it wasn't at the forefront that, yes, that means they're going to take your money. So the, the thing that I think it's important to clarify is that the University of Georgia has no plans to make any athletes split their endorsement uh, deals. I, I like the flexibility because maybe at a smaller school or maybe at another school or maybe in another sport, it makes sense. But for football, as rabid and competitive as it is, I don't think Kirby Smart is going to give up any uh, advantage um, in the recruiting circles with this law. So I think this law is just fine, and it kind of is what it is. If you're going to have an NIL law, uh, you know, this, this is as good as any other one. Jeff, you cover recruiting. What do you think about this from a recruiting standpoint? I mean, once again, I can't get over the fact that I sort of get the impression that every recruit thinks they're about to cash in in a big way and – like 95% of these guys are going to just be disappointed. The market does not exist for them the way that they think it does. And I hate to be the one to say that, but it, but it seems to be true. There are some people who have the kinds of, you know, followings where they can make some real money. Most, most players don't. Um, but, but what do you think about this from a recruiting standpoint? Yeah. Um, you know, I got a couple of viewpoints on this. I almost did a whole, I almost did a whole hedges show on this a while back. Um, so uh, I think you really anything that's really good for these players is the best thing overall. Um, there's a couple of catch 22s that I, I'm really curious to see what happens three years down the road with this. Cause I mean, the recruits by and large, they're going to just see examples of how uh, players are profiting and how players are um, benefiting from these new rules state to state. But um, maybe it, maybe it slows down the transfer portal for one thing, because if you've got, if you've got the ability to, you know, add an extra six figures to your in income while you're in school. Maybe that's something to think about that. And I'm saying six figures is a radical stretch because if you look around Atlanta, you don't see a lot of the Atlanta Brave stars or the Atlanta Falcon stars doing car ads or Hardy's ads or fast food ads or anything like that. Um, one might say devil's advocate that they're so well compensated that they don't, they don't need to do those, but there's not really a, a huge market for that of, of guys on billboards. There's not an endless supply of it. I think you're absolutely right about that. There's not an endless supply of opportunities for, for athlete endorsements. There's just I think not. the major thing that's going to happen. Everybody's thinking these are going to be car ads or shoe ads or apparel ads. That's not the case. I think the major thing is going to happen is these folks become well-known through their social media because their fan bases have been built up via recruits. Um, and I think, I think they're going to have a chance to ac actually do the affiliate marketer type thing. Uh, where they can make some social influencer type money off that. The real curious things are uh, like, let's like take a kid, for instance, like a great example was Evan Stewart. I know everybody knows him as an electric uh, Arian Smith type recruit in this class. 
Brennan, he has more social media followers simply on the TikTok platform than all the Georgia social accounts combined. And what if he wanted to start selling his own Evan Stewart wristbands or headbands or something like that? He's going to come into Georgia um, not making money off his profession, but making money off his name, image, and likeness, where, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, these kids are going to get rich. Well, what about a kid that's already rich heading into the, to the university? Um, that's something to think about there. And the other thing is, what if it would ever create a conflict of interest where um, the endorsement dollar, instead of instead of giving the money to the University of Georgia, and folks, the University of Georgia is going to have all the money in the world when it comes to this stuff, um, but maybe some uh, marketers decide to go strictly with the athlete, the Heisman Trophy candidate, a quarterback, um, instead of instead of a sponsorship with the university. Those are things to think about. I think there'll be a clearinghouse eventually, a third party agent, which will regulate a lot of these things. I mean, they're not going to be able to uh, endorse maybe Mike Griffith's famous fishing lures or you know chocolate chip cupcakes, cupcakes or anything else like that. The main thing, the main thing I'm going to say here is. A lot of these young men are not going to make this decision. Uh, a lot of the families I talk to, they're looking at it. And they're very curious about it. And they're going to beat their chest about it. But I don't think a lot of people are going to give up um, maybe an extra $100,000 in the Lexington market as a Kentucky hero uh, and not get uh, the ability to perhaps be developed at an Alabama or an Ohio State. Because I think a lot of these families are thinking long-term about what's going to get us the $20 million payday instead of what's not going to get us like $50,000 in college. The other thing, the other really key thing to look at with all these things, when you're looking at this name, image, and likeness stuff, um, is you have a lot of these schools trying to say, we're going to be better. We're going to do this. We're going to market more. Everybody's saying this right now, and it's simply conjecture at this time. I mean, you're really going to have to wait and see what a lot of things happen. Biggest conflict is you're going to have schools in Florida, players in Florida, acting uh, against the perhaps NCA rules. Um, and the NCA has made the decision that they're not going to enforce that as long as their states are in accordance with a, a name, image, and likeness agreement. Connor, around 2014 or so, the NCAA opened the door for what they called full cost of attendance, where you could add extra benefits for players to match the full cost it would presumably cost to go to a school. And there was some controversy around that at the time because I think Auburn was going to give like 8000 extra dollars to players on on their roster, even though, you know, Auburn's not exactly the most expensive city to live in. And there was a lot of talk at the time of, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a huge recruiting advantage to the schools that are offering more on the full cost of attendance side of things. And honestly, I don't think I've heard a word about that since then. Is there a chance that as big a deal as the name, image, likeness, profiting conversation seems to be right now that in a few years, it's also not something we talk about a lot, or do you foresee this being a big deal and the endorsement potential of up until now, amateur athletes will be a huge part of the conversation going forward. No, I think Jeff laid it out perfectly. Kids are still going to want to go to Ohio state and Alabama and Georgia because those schools offer the best chance to get to the NFL level and get that 10 million, $20 million payday. Now what this does do is I think it clears up some of the, gray area and allows guys if you are say a Todd Gurley or a Johnny Manziel to hey let's go sign some autographs for a few hours get a few extra you know four or five hundred bucks and sort of go from there and I think that sort of clears that up I know Georgia fans everywhere wish you know hey if, if Todd Gurley doesn't get suspended maybe that 2014 season turns out very differently so I, I, I think largely this is just something where it's so new it's a natural talking point and it's been something that has really been 
going against what the NCAA has done for its entire tenure. So once we get into it and we sort of know and understand the unintended consequences of it, I do think similar to the cost of attendance stipend, it does sort of fade into the background and it's something we don't really talk all that much about. Can I just say one thing about this? I do think it's funny that, like you talk, mentioned autograph signings, right? We've done autograph signings around here before. Like it's actually a little bit more work than you think it is. Like signing your name a bunch gets kind of tired and sort of boring after a while. Like that's not just free money. It's sort of the same thing with like some of these like Instagram influencer posts and things like that. That sort of seems like free money too, but you've essentially become a content creator the moment you do that. And there's a little bit of work associated with that there as well, that, you know, it's kind of cool to profit off your name, image, and likeness but there's still some work to be done to kind of cash in on this on the side. Signing a bunch of autographs takes a while. And for the, a lot of these players that have done it, they'll tell you it's actually kind of a boring way to spend a couple of hours just doing one signature after another. Hey, but if it puts money in your pocket at the end of the day, you know, it might be for the better. Uh, let's for, move is, on. There, is there a player ahead, on the Georgia team that's worth a $50 autograph right now? I don't think so. You look at a lot of those guys uh, a year ago. Remember, guys, that these guys that just came out of college, $20, $25. That's what Richard LeCount was getting, Eric Stokes and guys like that, um, when they just declared themselves as pros. Yeah, I mean, I think that Daniels and Pickens could probably command $50. The problem is you can do the $50 autographs one weekend at this mall and do them the next week at that mall. Yeah. And then after a few malls, after a few weekends, sort of everybody that wants a Pickens autograph or a Daniels autograph has kind of got one. So I, I think they could command $50. But once again – you know, there aren't 2 million people that want the $50 autograph. So, I mean, that's just kind of the issue there. So, Brandon, here's what I think will happen. Imagine a football camp that's put on by JT Daniels, Kiaris Jackson, George Pickens, and Jamari Salyer. And they all charge $100, $200 per camper. And that's a four, that's a four or five-hour-a-day deal. But that's something that I know a lot of folks will be interested in. And I'm going to give you a very icy cold take, and not a lot of people are going to understand this at all. But by and large, the players I talk to, the players and their family, while everybody wants a little bit more of this, the college athlete is more well compensated because of that, because of that extra cost of attendance stuff. They're mm -hmm. more well compensated than they've ever been before. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get lost in the weeds here, but you bring a pretty good point. And, Mike, I'll, I'll let you jump back in on this. And listen, I'm for these guys getting everything they can, but you know, they're already getting their food taken care of. They're getting all, all the gear they want. They got a place to live. Like every other dollar they get just becomes sort of discretionary spending. That's actually a pretty good little lifestyle for a college athlete, even before you get into the name image and likeness thing. I think Jeff's right. I think most of these guys are already living pretty well. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Don't forget the medical and the, uh, op, the health insurance that they have. And, and as we've said, there's always the flip shot, the flip side, right? I mean, Tommy Bush played in three career games or four career games, caught three passes, got a degree, had his medical, had surgery. I mean, Georgia probably put over a half a million dollars into Tommy Bush. He played three games and he left as a graduate transfer. So, you know, for every guy like, a, you know, a, a Richard LeCounter or Jordan Davis that, that leaves everything on the field and plays every snap, there's some guys that hardly play at all and they still get the full benefits of being a scholarship athlete and, you know, that's where you got to kind of weigh it out. I mean, you know, does, does the starting pitcher that's a, for the Georgia baseball team and throws four years, is, is he worth more than the Tommy Bush scholarship guy that plays three games in four years or four games in three years or, uh, or the track star all American? What about Matthew Bowling? You know, you know, how do you equate who's worth what? And, and to me, that is going to be interesting because I think that what these players are going to learn is that they're not worth nearly as much without that G logo somewhere in the picture. 
I mean, people are rooting for Georgia more so than the, you know, the fact that they're a player. I mean, look at the guys that transfer away. I mean, how many people are, are chasing Tyreek Stevens around right now or Devon Wilson for that matter? Yeah, we'll have to follow this and see where it all goes. And obviously there's going to be a, a lot coming up on this certainly in the weeks, months, and maybe even years to come. One more topic to get to here as part of our Cover 4 Live here today. And, boy, it's amazing to me just how much conversation has been generated on this since the executive director, Bill Hancock, kind of first came out with the release not too long ago, and there's been some reporting. The Athletics had some stuff on this in relationship to a, a playoff expansion, You know, whether it's a six, an eight, We've even heard the likelihood of a double digit, 10, 12, 16 type, uh, you know, team playoff expansion. It seems more likely than not that expansion is going to occur. And the odds seem to be pretty good that they may even tear up the current contract and rebuild this as a bigger playoff here moving forward. Mike, what's the right number of teams for the college football playoff in your mind? Well, if we're talking about expansion being inevitable, then I think eight. And, you know, um, more important to me, and I don't want to get too far away from your question, but more important to me is how you pick the teams. This this whole committee junk, you know, with the Oklahoma AD on there, conning everybody into Oklahoma being a playoff team when, you know, what are they, 0-4, and, and they give up an average of 49 points in every playoff game. Uh, the 2018 thing's always going to stick with me. Georgia was ripped off. But so what I'd like to see is I want the conference championship games to matter. I'm not saying you can't have an at-large in there like Alabama slipping through the back door and playing a weak Clemson team in New Orleans while Georgia was playing in one more extra game against Auburn and then flying across the country. But I want to see the five conference championship teams get automatic bids. I want to see a group of team, group of five team get an automatic bid. I'll go ahead and, and, and scratch the, the Notre Dame fighting Irish if they win their 11 or 12 games. We know they have to get in because God knows they didn't deserve to be in last year because they got their butts pasted mm-hmm. 34 to 10 by a playoff team, and somehow they get to be in the playoff the next week while a very good Cincinnati team is undefeated and an A&M team that hasn't lost in two months. And, oh, by the way, their only loss was to the number one team gets overlooked. But we do know there has to be a provision. We know that. So Notre Dame provision, group of 16, five automatics, and then two or three at largest, depending on if Notre Dame has won their 11 games because they don't play in a conference championship game. And, and Connor, I agree with Mike here that I think the eight is the right number. And I'm actually a little bit more enthusiastic about the at largest than he is because I think that's where your category of kind of best, most competitive teams making the most competitive games are going to come from. I'm willing to – put the conference champions in as an automatic qualifier. I'm not as jazzed about the group of five, but there's a political element of this. They may have to be included, but you know, I'll take the conference champs as an automatic qualifier because I would like to reduce the power that the selection committee currently has right now, but making some room for some at larges, that's how you get the really good games. That's how you get the, I mean, 2017 is a, for instance, on this, you know, uh, Alabama's, Inclusion as an at-large, you can say it was unfair, but it made, I think, for a better playoff all the way around to have a better team than you otherwise might would have had there. So I'm in favor of eight, and it's really the extra teams that are not conference champions who I think have the chance to make the playoff a little more enjoyable than it's really been the last couple of years once you have had fairly boring and you know easy-to-determine national semifinal-type games. That's why I want to go to 12. I, I think because it accomplishes a couple of different things here. It makes you feel, I think, a little bit better 
of potentially the conference champions, which I am for because that at the beginning of the season gives every college football team, at least in the power five, the chance to say, we, if we, we control our destiny and we can win a national title because it's currently set up. That is not the case. You know, a, a, a Kentucky cannot say we, we have a chance of winning the national title this year. That's unfortunately just not the way college football is set up. So with what you do with going to 12, you can guarantee the five power five champions. I would like to see the top group of five team in there because I think we've seen now teams like Cincinnati, Central Florida a few years ago. There are teams that are good enough on maybe not every year, but every couple of years, there are good enough group of five teams to make a legitimate playoff run. Going to 12, what that does is I think it still keeps the importance of those conference championship games because you have teams playing for that possible buy of being a top four seed. And I think that keeps the importance of that and that matters in there. And ultimately, I think the biggest reason why, maybe even more so than 12 than eight, is if you expand it to 12, you're not really going to care to hear all that much about the 13th best team in the claim that they got jobbed out of the playoff. Whereas I think as it currently stands, Mike has brought up with 2018 multiple times. If you're the fifth team or the ninth team, I think there is a small enough gap there to where, hey, if things go a certain way, you can ultimately win a couple of games there in the college football playoff. But when you start getting to 13, I mean, you look at the end of every season, we're trying to figure out if we even have 15 good teams. So I think 12, I think is a good number. And what it does is those first round games, you can put those on campuses. And I think that'd be a really cool environment as well. Can you imagine a playoff game in December in Athens, a cold weather game, everybody's bundled yep. up 93,000 for a playoff game. It'd be unlike anything. Connor, can you do a bracket on 12 teams though? And I mean, print mm -hmm. the things, have the office pools. Cause that's like the one thing that makes me a little bit nervous here is, is that, you know, for the most part, the the March Madness basketball folks ignore the first four because it kind of makes the brackets a little wonky. Uh, for the most part, you see those excluded from a lot of bracket contests. People don't seem to like to fill out brackets for things that are not perfectly even tournaments, mm -hmm. you know, buys a la NFL playoff. I think you'd be losing the opportunity because I think even with an 18 bracket, you'd have obviously a lot of per perfect brackets. If you're only picking, you know, seven games, you'd have some perfect brackets, but I do think you have office pools now for the college football playoff, something you're not really doing for four teams. I don't think you're doing that for eight teams though. And I think you maybe might be a little bit more inclined to do it with 12 because there's more variance in terms of getting more possible final four teams. Uh, Jeff, what do you think the right number of playoff teams is? Yeah, I think it's back-ended. I think um, the right number of playoff teams, like let's, let's say you have 12, everybody I would love to see, excuse me, the TV executives would certainly love to see all of that. But, like, how many regular season games are we talking again? Are you talking the normal schedule where you keep adding them? I mean, gosh, I, I know it will never happen, but I love those schedules we had last year in the COVID year where you kind of condensed a lot of things and, you know, then if you've got a 12-team playoff, maybe that makes a little bit more sense. You know, each school went through 10 conference games, or and that's certainly – everybody's strength of schedule, I guess, would be a little bit more equitable um, going forward. But I think the type of thing we're looking at here is – I mean, it's inevitable it's going to happen. I think it when – I, when I thought about this topic, I was like, is it good for college football? No, probably not. Um, is it great for money and TV? Yes. And that's, that's really the arbiter. That's really what's going to decide all this. Um, I don't know how radical college football will get where, I mean, I don't know if, if we have a 12 team, bra 12 team bracket and let's say that we simulate that thing out hundred years. I don't even know the way college football set up right now. I think nine, 10 and 11, 12 are never cracking that championship game, much, much less winning at all. Um, so I don't know what the purpose of that is other than inventory of programming.
I don't know about that though, Jeff. I mean, if you had, I guess this would have been a little bit uh, closer to the playoff than this, but I mean, think about what Kirk Herbstreit said about last year's college football playoff going into the playoff. Uh, he said, Hey, I tell you the teams you don't want to play right now. You know, he mentioned Georgia, the way they're playing late in the season, mentioned Oklahoma, the way they were also playing late in the season. Now they probably would have been better than the, I guess, number nine and number 10 teams a year ago. But I mean, you do have, you know, some of these teams from time to time that, you know, we disqualify teams once they lose in college football, which I think is really strange because we don't really do that in another sport. We disqualify you once you lose. But as Herb Street said before last year's playoff, and we could probably cite examples of this other years there as well, that part of what gets you down to the number nine spot is the fact that you lost a game. But, you know, teams don't play equal schedules here. You know, it's possible to be, you know, 10 and two, one of the best teams in the country. You've just played some of the other best teams in the country, other playoff teams in, in your regular season here. I would dispute the idea that the number nine team in the country, you know, could now, and I'm here because I want to cap it at eight. I, I dispute the idea that the number nine team in the country couldn't play for a national championship. Here's what I see happening, Brandon. If you have nine, 10, and 11, and 12, you're going to find some power five team with three losses sneak their way in there rather than some very deserving, you know, group of five, Louisville that's 11 and one, or not, not Louisville, but some group of five. Uh, you know, Central Florida, Cincinnati schools like that. I mean, you're going to find you're going to find that the the power hungry teams going to gar- gobble up a lot of those slots. And I mean, let's face it, like how is it going to work? First two teams get buys, maybe first three, four seeds get buys, maybe because otherwise, does anybody really want to see? I don't know. Does anybody want to see Alabama versus Iowa State? A two loss Iowa State. I, I actually do yeah, want to see that'd that. be fun. I, I definitely want to see that. And Jeff, here's the other thing. And Mike, I'll bring you back in on this because I, I think you probably joined me in being skeptical of some of these teams certain times, whether it be an Oklahoma out of the Big 12 or a Clemson out of the uh ACC. Mike, here's to me to go along with Jeff's point, the value of an expanded playoff. I'm all of a sudden asking some of these teams that may have caked walked through a regular season. I'm asking you to play another team as good as a Matt Campbell, Iowa state team as a, for instance, on this, that's a data point for me to feel good about you. If you are in the championship, that you actually earned your way there because you know, some of these conferences don't set you up for the same level of validation that other leagues do. So if you are playing a 18 playoff where you now have a national quarterfinal or a 12 team playoff where you may play an additional two games in certain situations, I'm going to feel better about you if you get to the title game that you've actually earned your way there because you've had to play a couple of good teams to get there. Yeah, I can, I can see that side of the argument, but I, I kind of go back the other way to the regular season and I say, I don't forgive you for losing to Kansas State if you're Iowa State, right? You, 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 Every weekend in college football is a playoff. That's why college football has the greatest regular season of any sport because it does matter, B.A., and you're right. Some teams can be knocked out by one loss. Now, it's all relative. If you're in the SEC, um, you know, and you can get back to the championship game, you're golden, right? Because, you know, or if you're Alabama, you can lose by double digits to Auburn, apparently, and back your way in. Um, you know, because of what you've done in past years. I, I, I don't think that was right. I still don't think that was right. Um, I think they should have been punished for losing a double-digit game to a team that Georgia beat the next week. Georgia actually played an extra game. Alabama essentially got a bye. I think if Alabama plays the extra game and Georgia gets the bye, that's enough for Georgia to beat Alabama in an overtime game in the championship. So uh, that's why I want the championship games to be automatic. I don't mind the at-larges. I'm willing to give, give in to that for that number of eight. Um, because I think that, you know, to your point, 
you know, you want teams that'll, that'll prove it. Right. And I think if you go with 18 playoff, now you're talking about winning three games in the playoffs to win a champion. And, and this is college football. I think where Jeff was going with this is this isn't basketball where you, you can play two games every weekend for a month. I mean, this is a physical game. We've seen it happen to Georgia with the attrition. Uh, and you say to yourself, my gosh, if Georgia would have played that team in September, they'd have beat them by two touchdowns. But by the time you get through an SEC schedule, I don't think it behooves the SEC. I think it hurts the SEC because of the attrition. And I think that's why Nick Saban is comfortable with that number four. Yeah, certainly Saban. He likes the way it is right now. Yeah, say, yeah. it stands now. He's got this thing all figured out. He's argued against the playoff expansion because it's working out just fine for him right now. So, so Brandon, here's here's I just kind of mocked it up a little bit. So if there was 12 this year, you have the candidates like uh, Coastal Carolina and Louisiana getting into the into the final 12. Um, oh, what I, is? I guess I subscribe. Uh, Coastal Carolina was 14 and Louisiana was 15. That was at the end of the. The, the end of the final games. Uh, Indiana was twelve. BYU was eleven. Those were the yeah, now BYU. Now BYU is a very different kind of, kind yeah. of thing. And we saw BYU and Coastal play. And unless I'm the last one to kind of argue for some of these mid tier teams, but that BYU Coastal game was good TV last year. And then you have a three loss Iowa State in at number nine. Here's what I think here plainly, Brandon is. I think there's really only five or six teams every year that are going to win the national championship for the next ten or fifteen years. And I think everything else is kind of just dinner theater. All right, let's do this. Go ahead, Connor, last word. I was just going to say, doesn't expanding the playoff potentially make that a little bit, those teams grow a little bit more? Because right now, as we've clearly seen, the top players go to schools that are in the college football playoff. We have hard evidence that proves that. So if you're putting more teams in there, maybe that opens up more schools and teams that can potentially win a national title if they have a better chance of getting into the college football playoff. I think it's an interesting point. That's our cover four. Let's do cover more here. We'll take a few comments and YouTube give folks a chance to weigh in on everything that's going on here right now. DMAR42 says, I don't think BYU or Coastal Carolina would have uh, had the potential in a national championship. Yeah, I'm the last one that's going to – and I know BYU is not technically a group of five team, but I'm the last one who's going to sort of argue for the efficacy of the groups of uh, five teams out there. But, listen, BYU and Coastal was – when they played each other, it was a very good game last year, Connor. On that, though, I, I mean, I, I think part of the problem with the current four-team playoff setup is it has drastically changed the way the teams – and schools and fan bases view what is a successful season. If you have a 12-team playoff, I do think that maybe changes the way teams go about feeling about how their season's unfolded. And if you're at BYU, sure, winning a national title might not be realistic, but getting into the playoff, possibly even winning a game, I think that drastically changes it. It's not just BYU. You would say that for a bunch of teams out there. I think changing the way that we talk about the playoff, because I make an argument right now, the 14 college football playoff has not been good for the overall health of college football. And so because of that, I, I think we need to look at different ways to determine what is a successful season for not just the top tier teams, obviously, but every school out there. Yeah. Listen, I think, I don't, I hate to get into like the ratings thing. Cause I feel like people just eyes kind of gloss over, mm-hmm. but it ought to have been uh, alarming to college football. that last year's playoff had as bad a rating as it did. When you have Alabama, Ohio state, arguably the you know two biggest brands in the sport playing in a national championship game when the ratings are in the tank, that is the public rejecting your playoff format. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know how you how, how you you know get anything else from that. You couldn't have picked two bigger macro big state U type schools to be playing for a national championship game. The ratings were awful. They're, they have to do something because the public has essentially rejected the four team format as it stands right now. Listen, I'm a college football diehard. I love it. 
but fewer people seem to be in love with it now than they were mm-hmm. three years ago. All right, and, and I point out too, though it is interesting. You know, I, I don't believe college football and the NBA have a ton of overlap in, in their sort of casual fans, but across the board, sports are sort of suffering right now. And I'm for these associations looking for different ways to try and re-engage fan interest. Uh, all right, so uh, let's get hey, a Brandon. Do you want to talk about getacoachfired.com? I think the new staple will be whether it's eight or twelve. Uh, you could say Coach X at Big School U hasn't guided his team to the top, to that final eight or final 12 in three or four seasons. Yeah. It's really going to add a lot of dreariness to a lot of seasons when you're not good enough. Forget the four. If you're not good enough to make the eight or 12 after three seasons, that's certainly an, I, I, that's certainly a barometer that says, man, you're not getting it done here at the highest level that what we need and what we're paying you $6 million for. Go Isn't that why Mark Rick got fired, though? Because yeah, they I mean, weren't listen, a top eight or 12 team, certainly in 2015. So it's a measuring stick. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think Mark Reed got fired because Kirby Smart came available. That, that certainly played a part in it. Hey, Mike, let me bring you on a different topic here. Jairus Williams in the Facebook comment section on Darnell Washington. I don't know if there's a player more fascinating to me than Washington because of what he has the potential to do, but kind of also that anchor of, hey, we've talked up tight ends before and they end up being just sort of regular Georgia tight ends in terms of the way they get used. I mean, what do you think the, the sort of the, you know, the, to quote Michael Jordan, what is the ceiling as, as the roof when it comes to uh, what Darnell Washington could, could do in 2020 or, or beyond whatever year this is 2021 or even beyond that? Yeah, it's kind of a boring answer. I'm sorry. I wish I could just tell you that, you know, they're going to design play. Listen, they go to the line and they see what the defense is giving you. And, and if Darnell's open, if Darnell's the guy and he's the read, that's who gets the ball. I mean, that's his, this is the chameleon offense, right? I mean, this is when we talk about JT flying the jet and having all the levers and the triggers for the missiles and the bombs and the, and the guns. He's going to use the one that, you know, that, that's going to, you know, be the most effective against the defense. So some of it's predicated on the defense. Um, some of it's predicated on, you know, whether Darnell works himself into being a three-down player, which I think he can much like John Fitzpatrick, where I think Brock Bowers is more of a, a matchup guy that you put in the slot, especially early on in his career. You know, a lot of comparisons to George Kittle, um, but a guy right now that's going to run those seam routes, that 40-inch vertical, that 4-5-40, maybe not quite as fast as Adam Anderson, Connor, but still a 4-5-40 guy for uh, Brock Bowers. But Darnell's a guy that can line up in, in tight and knock that linebacker, that DN down, or he can release and cause nightmares for that safety, that nightmare matchup. But is he the first read? Is he the second read? One thing I'll say is with George Pickens out, and I'm I'm still not calling it a silver lining because I think George is gifted. And I don't think there's – I think we're kidding ourselves if we say George is better without him. But with George out, you've got about 120 targets that have got to be spread out, and they're not necessarily going to the receiving core. They're going to go to the running backs, and they're going to go to the tight ends. And Darnell Washington could be a 30-catch guy this year. Good to see Dallas Schwartz, who lives out in California. I guess he's uh, coming through Hartsfield-Jackson right now there at the airport. Dallas, glad to have you here in the lovely God's country that is the state of Georgia. Good stuff all the way around there on that. Jeff, let me also bring you in on Barry Anderson, or I should say Anderson, on the YouTube comment section. Also asking about another former five-star uh, re- recruit there at Georgia, and that's Keely Ringo as defensive back. What do you think the outlook for Ringo in that defensive backfield for Georgia is here this year, Jeff? I think the outlook for Ringo is can he get the other – I think let's use her floor and ceiling comments. I think the ceiling for him might be the – obviously the, the ceiling might be starting cornerback one following the best guy. But I think the floor for Keeley, I think he's 
at least going to be the number three cornerback this year, especially by midseason. I think you're, I think Keeley's career at Georgia, it, it, I, I, I could say right now, Keeley's career at Georgia to me is going to feel like Tyson Campbell's career. I think Tyson Campbell's career might be the floor, and it's going to be up to his ball skills and the way he plays. Uh, man, Brent, I talked to a lot of scouts, a lot of guys that watch all these football things, and, and they just wonder about the best fit for Keeley Ringo at Georgia, maybe year one, year two versus year two, year three. Uh, you got to get him on the field, but man, um, it feels just a lot like uh, a lot like uh, the Tyson Campbell career at Georgia to me at this time. Uh, Connor, last one for you. William Gleaton brings up something you've actually written about Dog Nation. I think it was today, but the Georgia Clemson game, the excitement around the rivalry, and just the magnitude of a season opener against a team that's become a perennial playoff team year after year after year. How big of a deal is this Clemson game for Georgia to start the season as William's talking about here? It's not going to determine the end result, but in the moment, I don't know if there's going to be a bigger regular season game that Georgia has played. Maybe Florida in 2019, but again, these are two playoff caliber teams and whoever wins this is going to have an absolute feather in their cap come that college football playoff time. And obviously you don't want to potentially lose the SEC championship game, but if Georgia's 12-0 and with a win over Clemson going into that SEC title game, there's a real good chance they probably already have a college football playoff spot locked up. So the play for that in week one is huge for both programs. I think that's really interesting. All right, so last thing here, uh, I'm going to promote something real quick. Big day for us, Dog Nation Daily on the road tomorrow. Big announcement. I'll give you a tiny hint about this. We're broadcasting live from Truist Park if you want to know some sort of hint about all of that. So that's going to be fun tomorrow morning. We're going to tell you about something really, really fun we're going to be doing in the very, very near future. Going to hear about this. Anybody else got anything they want to promote before we say goodbye here? I got Go ahead, Mike. Tomorrow night, we'll have our Mother's Day weekend special with JT Daniels' mom and wow. Richard LeCount's mom. So that'll be right here. Uh, same bat time, same jet bat channel, but on a Friday night. So you'll get to hear from Richard LeCount's mother and JT Daniels' mother. And I can promise you this is. This might be a one-of-a-kind thing. They may never let me do it again. So Well, we'll it, sound, it sounds like it's going to be awesome. Uh, what, what, a, what a cool way to spend Mother's Day and a great way to usher in that weekend, Mike. That's a, that's a cool broadcast to pull together. I'm glad that you've done that, and I can't wait to see that. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Jeff or Connor, anything you guys y'all want to say before we say goodbye here? Watch Mike's show and Brandon's show tomorrow. There you go. Thank you very much, Connor, for yielding your time to benefit the rest of us. All right. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Uh for those that care about these things, I know folks do. Jalen Walker is alive and well in the North Carolina State Championship game right now. They have a 28-14 to 14 lead at the half. Um, I would is that streaming it. anywhere? Uh, I think somebody told me you can stream it on radio. Uh, yeah, let's don't get into, like, bootleg streams. <laughs> nah. We're going to get in trouble doing that. I mean, I've got somebody streaming the game to me right now on my phone. So, I mean, that, that's one way to look at it from somebody that's FaceTiming in the office. Yeah, but, you, should, um, you should zoom that out, Jeff. But uh, get this, Jalen Walker's catching some balls as, as a receiver. He's got a pivotal 21-yard gain. Uh, they're up 28 to 14 in a game. Most pundits that I talked to, a little bit of research I did, they think Salisbury is going to win that thing. I don't know if you guys saw the tweet I sent out today, but that's the only time I've ever seen a high school with like floating heads on side that on the sides of the facility. The, the, the facility looks like it was built in 1842, but it's got that Roman architecture at the top. I was looking for gargoyles and everything else like that. Bottom line, Jalen Walker is bird dogging right now a state championship. So the, show, the show is over. So y'all can y'all y'all can go if you want to. We're just talking now. Go ahead, Mike. 
I was just going to say, I, I like Salisbury in the high stakes games. <laughs> uh, wow. Jeff, you talk about these linebackers playing uh, stuff. A few years ago, this has been a few more than a few years ago now. Like Alec Ogletree, Alec Ogletree like playing uh, line, uh, wide receiver. What is it Newman or uh, was it uh, Newman High School that he played for? Um, I mean, some of these, Newman. some of these deep, yeah, some of these defensive. Uh, defensive guys lining up out as a wide receiver. Some of them can do some real damage. I mean, Jalen had a play earlier this year where they faked a punt with him. He had a cast on his hand and he got like 21 yards. Faking punts with linebackers, man. That's the guy can jump out of the gym. I tell you what, can we not have Georgia commits or or at that time would be Georgia commits out there with a cast playing football. Can we keep these guys just a little bit protected here? Georgia's had its fair share of injuries related to some of these, uh, Young guys coming in. If they're in a cast, let's let them watch from the stands. Sounds like a sounds like a punt returner at Georgia. You got a kid. Has he got an arm thing on? Like maybe they put him in a shoulder harness. Kirby will put him back to catch punts. Brian Erlocker was the punt returner. It was it Arizona, New Mexico? New Mexico. Was yeah, yeah. So listen, we've had we've had linebackers be punt returners before. So it's not such a bad idea all the way around. All right, we are literally going to go now. Um, y'all have a great weekend, Mike. The show sounds great tomorrow. I see you tomorrow morning, ten a.m. from Truist Park. Uh, big announcement on that show. Going to be a lot of fun. Jeff's going to be on hand live tomorrow. Uh, be fun to have Jeff Sintel in the building for that. Connor Riley going to be hanging out with us there uh, too. So we'll see all of you for that. To the mothers who are watching us, happy Mother's Day to you. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily throughout the day at dognation.com. And again, very soon here for Cover 4 Live. Have a great night, everybody. 